Thank you so much for joining the Faith Chapel Podcast. Wherever you may be joining us from, we hope that you know that you are loved and that this message encourages you throughout your week. If I'm being honest about it, it came out of an inquiry, just a time of awe and of, and of inspiration in my own personal time as I was just reading the, the stories of Jesus. I love reading the red letters that are in the Gospels. The actual words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As I was reading through the red letters of the Gospels, what, what was interesting to me was is that almost every single time Jesus began to talk, he would begin by saying that the kingdom of heaven is like. Do you remember that expression? That the kingdom of heaven is like. That he would tell a parable, he would tell a story. And then he would go on, he would say, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would tell another story. Then he'd say, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would begin to tell another story. And it dawned on me that, that Jesus was spending an incredible amount of time talking about what the kingdom of heaven was like. In fact, it only stands to reason to me then that if Jesus spent nearly most of his entire three and a half years of ministry talking about one theme or one subject matter, then it must be incredibly important. So I began to look at it a little bit closer. In fact, what I found is not only is this an important theme, but it might be one of the most prevalent themes in all of the Bible. The teaching that God is the King of kings and the Lord over all of his creation is not is found both in the Old and New Testament. It's this unifying refrain that goes on and on and on throughout all the books of the Bible in both Old and New Testament. So as we start here today, let me ask you this simple question. Let me ask you this. If someone comes to you, I mean, let's just suppose somebody comes to you and says, what is the kingdom of heaven? How would you respond? What would be your answer? And I think for so many people, we'd be like, I, I, I don't know, or we would kind of muddle through, or we would kind of try to put some exclamation, or we might even say, well, it's, it's coming. You know, we might just leave it there. For a lot of us, we just don't even know what the kingdom of heaven is, but yet 119 times in the Gospels, Jesus alludes to the kingdom. 119 times. In fact, the word kingdom is found 155 times in the New Testament alone, given the New American Standard Version. It's different in different versions, but 155 times. So with all of that emphasis pointing in one direction, this might be important. In fact, it might be the most important theme that we could discuss or even understand. After all, most of you know a man by the name of John the Baptist. You know John, the voice of one calling in the wilderness who was sent to prepare the way of the Lord, right? You know, this guy that, you know, ate locusts and honey and dressed weird and came out of the wilderness. What did he say when he came? What was he baptizing? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, And then when Jesus, after he was baptized and he was led away in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan and he came up out of that temptation and the Bible says that he began to go around and he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at at hand. So he started his earthly ministry talking about the kingdom of heaven and how it was at hand. Listen to me, there is a direct correlation between the kingdom and repentance. For the kingdom and repentance. The New Testament word for repentance is this. It is metanoia. And it means to change one's mind. 
And so literally when you, when you repent before God, you're changing one's mind or the way we've heard it all these years is that not only do you change your mind, but that change of mind causes you to change your direction. That you were headed in one way and you repented and you met with God and God came clear to you and his ways became clear. The things of the kingdom were made known to you and you said, no, I can't, I can no longer operate that way and you change your direction in your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And this is the way this is used. There's a direct correlation between the kingdom and repentance. In fact, you know Nicodemus who showed up with Jesus one night. He shows up and he says, hey, I... I I, I, I don't know what's going on, but he says, I want to find out how can I get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you have been born again. So there's a direct correlation here between this kingdom that God has established in our repentance or being born again. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 3, 5 through 7. Verily, truly, I tell you, that no one can enter the kingdom of, the kingdom of what? What's it say? The kingdom of God, unless they are born of water, meaning they are given birth in this flesh, here they are, they can't be, you know, because he asked the question, how can somebody be born again? How can they be in their mother a second time? How can that even happen? He said, no, no. He said, you don't understand. He said, you're going to be born of water. You're going to be born of the flesh. He said, then you'll also be born of the spirit. There is eternity set in the heart of every man. There's a hole. There's a longing that cries out for God. They're missionaries that go into places that we have never, ever been. I love this. That we have never, ever been. And when they get there, they say, they, those, those people will come to us, those native people will come to us, and they'll say, are you the one that God sent to tell us about himself? So how did you know there was a God? Because there's eternity set in the heart of every man. That longs for a spiritual regeneration or rebirth. That, that that spirit that's on the inside of you is laying dormant, and it takes the spirit to reborn that, to birth that, to give that action, to give that life, so that it comes forth in your life. And Jesus would say, you have to be born again, for the flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And he says, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. And just after, he, he, just after Jesus starts his ministry, in Matthew chapter 4, it says Jesus is going through all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel. Is it not on the screen? What's he proclaiming? The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus went around and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And later in his ministry, when his ministry is almost concluded, when he's almost ready to go into Jerusalem and, into Jerusalem and, and have that last marriage supper, you know, that uh, Passover supper, and he was about to go to the cross, towards the end of his ministry in Matthew 24, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached for the whole world's a testimony to the nations. So there's a consistency beginning at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry that Jesus' message stayed on point. What was it? The gospel of the, the gospel of the kingdom. From the beginning to the end, Jesus' ministry was consistent about preaching about this one thing, the gospel of the kingdom. That brings about this second correlation. And the second correlation that's being linked together here is this, is that the gospel and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven belong together. 
And it kind of just makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, once you personally receive the gospel message through repentance, the gospel becomes alive in you and makes you a citizen of a new kingdom. How many of you know that you are just passing through that this is not your home? Amen, right? That, I mean, you have a street address, you have a place that you lay your head, you have a place to go, but this is not your home. In fact, we're passing through work. Bible says we are aliens and strangers in this world that we have been bought with a price that we are not our own, that we're headed towards a different location, that whose author and builder is God, right? He's the architect of this new place that we're headed, that this is not home for us. There's a reason why we don't feel comfortable in this world. And if we begin to feel too comfortable in this world, it means maybe that we're doing something wrong because we're not supposed to feel comfortable in this world. That's why we're called to be salt and light, because we're called to be different. In fact, the Bible says you're a peculiar person. Just turn to your neighbor and have a little fun and go, you're a peculiar person. Some of you have been wanting to do that for years. For years. (laughs) You're just flat out strange. (laughs) You're a weirdo. What is wrong with you? The Bible says you're a peculiar person. Why? Because we're not of this world. We just live in it. Right? That we are citizens of a completely different kingdom. And we enter into that kingdom through a rebirth or three or four, a reborn experience through repentance. And the second correlation here is then the gospel is made known unto us. Made known to us. What's interesting to me is what these two words mean. The word gospel literally means an announcement or proclamation of God's good news. Jesus was doing what? He was proclaiming or making an announcement of God's good news. Wherever he went, he, he went around proclaiming and announcing God's good news. You know, I, I think the, one of the greatest places in all the world on a Sunday or any place, anytime really should be the church. This is, it ought to be a place of good news. For it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. It doesn't even matter what you've sinned. In fact, I don't even care what you did just a few moments ago. God loves you, and you're highly valued and treasured. You're made in the image and the likeness of God, and God sent his one and only son to redeem you and bring you out of darkness and bring you into his marvelous light. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what needs to be proclaimed. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like someone who's lost and dying and they're out there all by themselves. Jesus said, I would leave the 99 not to go to the hospital. That verse has been taken out of context for years. Well, we've been shut in. Nobody from the church comes in. That's not what that verse means. And what it means is, is that you would leave those that are saved to go find the one who's not saved. That you would go find, you would leave the ones that are, that are saved and know God and have the opportunity to call upon the Spirit of God, the Spirit that's dwelling with inside of them, that leads them into all truth, that Spirit that teaches them to say no to God, that Spirit that empowers them to live a life of overcoming, that we would leave those people to go find the one person that's lost, that's supposed to be a part of this tribe. And that's why we're praying, and that's why we pray, that's why we're doing the cards where we're praying and caring and sharing. 
We pray every day. We care for them. We affirm them. We encourage them. And then we're asking God to give us an opportunity where we can share the good news with somebody that's in our world, in our life. Because that's the highest thing that we can do, that none should perish. And Jesus went around and he made an announcement. He made a proclamation of God's good news. And who wouldn't want to hear that God accepts you, that God loves you, that God's for you and he's not against you? That's good news. Church, isn't that good news? And then when you look at the word kingdom, it means this. It means it's not a kingdom as we would anticipate. When we think of a kingdom, we might think of, you know, the United Kingdom. And we're like, boy, it's got boundaries and it's got a queen and there's rulership. And that's not what this word means at all. In fact, what it really means is right or authority to rule. So Jesus went around and he went proclaiming or announcing the God's great good news And he did that to let them know that he was given authority and that for all those that come into through repentance and receive this gospel message, that you also have been, that you also now receive the authority and the power for the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of you. And he places his precious Holy Spirit in you. And now you've been given the right and the authority to rule the kingdom that God has placed around you. Amen. I thought somebody would get excited about that. And we need more people to understand what we're going to talk about. Today's just kind of like an introduction, a big, long introduction. But next week, when we start talking about the keys to the kingdom, you remember Jesus went to Peter and he said, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. There's so much inside me, I'm going to go into next week's message if I don't watch it. But I'm going to tell you that you've been given all power and all authority to rule this kingdom. And then when you go out and you make the proclamation with authority and you make the announcement of God's good news, that the power of God is with you. He even told the disciples, don't even be afraid of what you're going to say. Like, I know you don't know what to say. There was no discipleship 101, 201, 301, then you hit home base and everybody was good. Right, you know what I mean? There was no growth track back then. There was, he said, yeah, I know you don't know what to say, but the Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you're supposed to say. There was a dependency upon the Holy Spirit working in the life of each individual and working in the life of the church. Are you with me? And we need to get back to that place where we go, God, I cannot do anything. In fact, I cannot do life without the Holy Spirit in my life. I need you guiding and directing each one of my steps because when I am with you and I'm doing your will and I'm doing your purposes and I'm doing it your way, then you will empower me through the Holy Spirit and I will know what I'm supposed to say when I'm supposed to say it. And I'll be empowered to do it. I don't have to worry about, what do I have enough scripture memorized? Have I gone through enough classes? I don't have a Bible degree. I can't pray like the pastors of this church and they seem so anointed. And oh, I can't do any of those things. That's not what it's about. It's about living your kingdom-centered life right where you are. That God wants you to proclaim with authority because you've been given authority and you've been given power in which to proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the disciples, they struggle with this in their lives. They struggle with it for three and a half years. They heard every one of those parables. And the kingdom of heaven is like, and they got, you know, they got their journals out. You know, he, Jesus preaching. He's preaching on the kingdom of heaven again. Write it down. In fact, they would pull him aside and they would be like, um, don't be mad at us. We didn't get that. 
can you explain it? It's in your Bible, read it. And he was like, okay. And he explained it, and they're like, oh, that's what the seed means, oh. And he began to write it down, and he began to put it all down. So for three and a half years, kingdom of heaven, 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 kingdom of heaven. and then they get, they get Jesus dies, he, here he is, he, he goes down to hell, death, and grave, he gets the keys of hell, death, and the grave. He comes back, he shows himself to the disciples. He's getting ready to ascend to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And he meets with the disciples one last time. He goes, you can ask me anything that you want. I'm getting ready to go to the Father. And he says, he says is there anything that you want to ask me? Acts chapter one, verse six. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, we might overlook that, but Jesus probably went. I mean, I can even sense in this passage Jesus' frustration. He doesn't answer that way. He's gentle and he's merciful, and thank God that he is with them and with us. But you could almost sense, three and a half years I've taught on this, and you still don't get it. I am not going to come and restore a earthly kingdom here on earth. That's not what this is about. And why is this important? Because for hundreds of years, the Jewish nation, that's what they kept believing. They kept believing that the Messiah would come and that when he got here, he was gonna establish his earthly kingdom and all the tyrannical leaders of this world were gonna be disposed of and Jesus will be seated, the King of kings and the Lord of lords and they would come to Jerusalem and they would worship him there. Jesus said, no, no, no. You've got it all wrong. Look what he goes on to say. Verse seven, it is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put his own authority, but you shall receive power. He said, I'm gonna give you power. I want you to receive power. He said, you have the right and the authority over this kingdom that is around you as you go and proclaim the God's good news to other people. And as you are utilized in ministry, I'm giving you all power and all authority to go. I'm gonna give you power. So wherever you go, you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Wherever you go, you're gonna have this power with you because I'm giving you power to serve this kingdom that I'm establishing. It wasn't about a kingdom that was in this world. It's one, there's one coming, how many of you know, right? And that's why some people get confused when we start talking about this this issue. So let me just give you three quick things and I'll let you get out of here. And, and I, I know you lost an hour of sleep, so how many of you want to get out early? <laughs> let me just see how many sinners are in the room. Amen. So just, I, I want to know who I'm praying for this week. My hand's up too. I'm with you. So amen. I'm, I'm just kidding. My hand's up. Here's some kingdom facts. All right. Just we're setting the table here. Number one is this. The kingdom is primarily dynamic rather than spatial. It's dynamic. Isn't that what happened on the day of Pentecost? Dynamic, powerful, a release of God's presence and power and glory over a place. It was dynamic. And there were 3,000 were added that day, and then the Lord added to their number, and a few chapters later, they began to increase, and a few chapters later, they greatly increased, and then they multiplied. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is with us wherever we go because we are a part of that kingdom. 
It is more about the dynamic of the Holy Spirit working in our life than it is about a geographical territory, in other words. Amen? Number two, there are conditions to entering God's kingdom. I mean, if you're going to enter into this kingdom, it is, there's, you just have to know there's certain conditions. We've already talked about one of them. The first one is found in letter A, is that you have to be born again. It says, you cannot inherit the kingdom. I mean, Jesus could not be more clear on this. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. And we already know what that looks like, that it comes through. I have to recognize that I cannot in myself bring about salvation, that I am far away from God because of my sin. And that I need to be brought near to God. And the only way that that happens is recognizing that Jesus came and that he died and he rose on the third day. And he lives forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us. And because of him and his great sacrifice, I now am made connection with my heavenly Father. And I can be in relationship with him. That's born again. Let her be as the poor of spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think we get this all kind of mixed up, poor of spirits. Billy Graham was asked, what does it mean to be poor of spirits? And Billy Graham answered, oh, you want to know what it means to be poor of spirits? He says, simply put, is this. He says, we need to be humble. If you were to place the word poor, he said, with the word humble, you would have a better interpretation of what that actually means right there you'll understand what Jesus meant. In other words, when we come to God, we have to realize that our own sinfulness not only separates us from God, but sometimes that sinfulness through pride and arrogance surfaces to where we place ourselves in a position to where we think we're like God. By the way, that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. I mean, he went up and he says, I think I'm just like you. And God says, we'll see. How you like me now? Right? I don't know where that came from, sorry. But, I, but if we're being honest with ourselves, we do that so many times in our own life. When we're not completely and absolutely dependent upon God, we're putting ourselves in a position, we'll talk about in just a minute, about the righteousness of the Pharisees. We put ourselves in a position where we think that we're okay because we've done certain things. God says, no, 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 no. He says, I, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. The humble, there's where the kingdom of heaven is. I give grace to the humble. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that it comes through humility, brokenness, and meekness. Meekness is not weakness, church. The Bible says that Jesus was meek and lowly, and he was not weak. Many experts say that no man that has ever been able to walk this planet that could endure what Jesus went through the hours preceding him being crucified on the cross. He was not a weak man, but he was meek. What, what, what's the Bible talking about? What attribute is that? It's an attribute of humility. You can literally bring God's presence, his kingdom about by being humble at heart. 
The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, because we've been talking about repentance. It says, for this is the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. Or for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So if we repent properly, this kind of godly sorrow, we repent in the way we should, it leads us away. We turn away from We have a change in mind. It leads us in a right and proper direction. Are you with me? And then it says there's no regret for that kind of sorrow, meaning it's, it's to our advantage. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance. You ever know worldly sorrow? You ever see that? How many of you have kids? <laughs> then you know what worldly sorrow looks like. I'm sorry. <laughs> do they intend to do it again? Yep. <laughs> Go make your bed. I'm sorry. Are they going to make it tomorrow? Nope. <laughs> if they were sorry, they wouldn't do it again. Not intentionally. He said worldly sorrow lacks repentance, lacks changing of an attitude, changing of a mindset, changing of our direction. And it results in spiritual, spiritual death. Why do we need to be humble? Because it results in spiritual life. And it allows us to be citizens of this kingdom. Letter C is persecuted for righteousness. I mean, everybody gets that. It's right there in scripture. I had to add it though. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For my name's sake. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are persecuted for righteousness. Have you ever done the right thing and didn't get the right result? Have you ever been at work and stood up for something and then you were made fun of or ridiculed or put on the outside? Maybe even in your own family, have you ever stood up for a, a characteristic or for a value or for something you knew was God-honoring and then you became the brunt of somebody else's decisions? Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness, for yours then is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, Jesus said, in this life you will have hardship. I think maybe we should stop praying, and God, I don't want to, no, no more hardship, no trials. Because Jesus said, you're going to have it. I think what we should pray for is, God, give me the strength to endure. In the New Testament, that word to endure or perseverance put together is hubomene. And it's where God gives you strength and patience together, working together to endure, to get through anything that life has to throw at you. So instead of saying, God, remove the situation, why don't we say, God, I want you to strengthen me to get through this situation so you be glorified in my life. I want people to take note that no one else could have gotten through this situation the way I've gotten through it because you were with me. You were with me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Letter D, righteousness, our righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of all. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What was he talking about here? Well, there's a thing called practical righteousness. And just simply stated, it means this. That the Pharisees thought in a practical way that all of their acts of service, that all that they were doing, religious acts, were making them righteous. 
that the things that they were doing were making them righteous. Can I tell you, if that's the case, then we could earn our own way into heaven. That we could just continue to do the right thing day after day after day after day, and we could find our way into heaven. But Jesus said, you cannot do that. It goes back to this whole thing of we need a positional righteousness. And I'm not trying to get too specific, but I want you to understand the difference. There's a, there is this whole thing of positional righteousness, and then there's this practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is this, as I recognize my position, is that I am a sinner saved by grace. That my heart is desperately wicked above all things, and I can't even understand it or know it. That I am desperately in need of a Savior. That my sin is always before me. That there is one who loved me enough to send his one and only son to be my sacrifice on the cross. And because of his righteousness and what he has done, he allows me to move from the position of what I deserve to position of what I don't deserve under his authority and under his blessing and under this new kingdom. That's, what, that's what's going on here. He said, unless you understand that your righteousness needs to supersede, you can't get caught up in religious duty. You can't get caught up in all the things that you're doing. Lighting candles will not save you. Your prayers will not save you. Come on. Is it good to pray? Absolutely. Do I care if you light a candle? Light a candle and say a prayer. I don't care. Will reading the Bible save you? No. Say, Pastor, how do you know this? Because Jesus said on the last day when I come, the people that are going to be a part of my kingdom, they're the ones that know and understand this. Because there's a lot of people that in the last day that don't understand this. He said, because they're going to be prophesying and they're going to be doing miraculous things in my name. He goes, and I'm going to say, I don't even know you. What is that? That's what we call this practical righteousness. They're going out doing all of these things in the name of Jesus, and they're trying to, they're trying to earn favor with God. They're trying to earn favor with God by doing, by doing these certain things, by practicing righteousness. Now, should we practice righteousness? Absolutely. What's the difference between positional righteousness and practical righteousness then? It's my heart, right? It's my heart. See, when I come before God and I recognize that I'm nothing but without him, but with him I can do all things. When I come before him and I lay myself at his feet and I say, God, I need you. That because of your great sacrifice, I recognize that I wear your robe, your robe of righteousness. And you've made me a son and a daughter of God that allows me to walk into your very presence and to make my requests known. And I have the understanding that I'll find help in my time of need. And Lord, I call upon your name because you alone are the one that is worthy. And you alone are the one who can bring these things about, can change these things. You see the difference? And he's saying, if you really want to be citizens of this kingdom, then the kingdom of heaven is like this. And you have to let your righteousness supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Letter E. I better finish this up. Letter E. You have to do God's will. I alluded to this passage just a moment ago. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You mean not everybody that says Lord? Well, not everybody says Lord. You're my Lord. Will enter in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's what Jesus says. Well, then who gets to go in? Oh, good question. 
Only those who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So obedience is required. Now this is where the amens go like way down. Like everybody was super excited about power and authority and dominion. We rank sons and daughters of God. You know, kingdom of God is forcefully advancing for those who lay siege to it. Claim it by force. Amen, pastor. Right? I'm with you. I'm standing rank and file. Let's go into the battle. Let's go. And then all of a sudden when I start talking about obedience, people go, oh, well. Right? The mumbling starts happening all across. But Jesus said, how do you get in? Only the one who does the will of my Father gets in. By the way, a good place to start with that is in your Bible. And whatever it says to do, just do that. When it says be kind to one another, how about just trying to be kind to one another? When it says encouraging one another, how about just go and encourage somebody? When it says pray, then why don't we just begin to pray? When it says we're supposed to serve the poor, just find somebody that's in need of help and go and serve them. Do you understand what I'm saying? When it says forsake not the assembling of ourselves, the summer in the habit, by the way, you can get into a habit of being in or out of church. Like I look around, I'm going, hey, we're down a little bit because of time change. Really, you lose an hour and you can't make it to church? I mean, I know I'm talking to the choir here because you guys are all here, right? It's it's people watching on the internet, woke up and they're sitting in their jammas going, oops, he's talking about me. Right? I mean, just start with what's in the Bible and doing that. We have so much trouble doing what we're already called to do, what we already know we're supposed to be doing. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving our enemy. Not returning evil for evil, but returning good for evil. Tithing, giving, serving using our talent, right? Like I would just love the day when the FC Kids department comes and says, Pastor, please don't talk about us anymore. We got way more workers than we need. Because our church is so dedicated about raising up an army of believers through our young people and discipling the way the Bible says where the old are supposed to pour into the new. That we're so dedicated to that that we just don't need any more workers. Would you stop talking about that from the pulpit? But why am I talking about it? Because it's still a need. And God has put it on some of your hearts and you're like, I'm not good with kids, but you don't know what we need. But if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then maybe you'll go sign up. I don't know. <laughs> that was just a little guilt. That might have been in the flesh. That might have been in the flesh. And let me give you this third one real quick so I can let you go. Anybody having fun? How I many you know Mary Hart does good like a medicine? It's okay to laugh in church, right? It's okay. I promise you next week you do not want to miss. We talk about the keys to the kingdom. And your position in heaven. God says in Revelation chapter 1 and in chapter 21 that he has made you to be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. And he's given you the keys to the kingdom. Next week is powerful. Number three, kingdom authority has been given to you. Jesus was talking to the disciples. They keep struggling with this whole concept. And he said, I'm giving you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. 
Nothing will harm you. And they must have been like, yes. <laughs> right? I mean, here's the Messiah, the Son of God. He's saying he's going to give us all this power. He's going to give us all this authority. Nothing's going to harm us. That we're going to be able to go out and we're going to be able to conquer. I mean, these are guys. And so if you're not a guy, ladies, I'm sorry. But as a guy, I can relate to this. I'm like, yes, you're guaranteeing my victory. All I got to do is go to battle and I'm going to win. And I'm going to have all power and I'm going to have all authority. And I'm going to get in the game and I'm going to get a little dirty. I'm going to get a little sweaty, but I'm going to come out victorious. It's going to be awesome. And they must have been rejoicing and feeling that very same way. So Jesus comes back and he says, do not rejoice. <clears throat> like stop the praise service right now. Don't rejoice with that. Stop doing that. You don't understand. You don't get in it. You don't understand what's going on. Oh, well, what's going on? Don't rejoice. That the spirits submit to you when you go and that you're conquerors and that you're able to go and expand this kingdom. Don't, don't. That's a given to Jesus. Think about this. That's a given so don't rejoice about that. My kingdom is advancing. My kingdom will advance. For anybody who will give themselves to me, and anyone who will lay down their life, and anyone who will pick up their cross and follow me, anybody who wants to do the will of the Father and it willingly submits to me in humanity, my kingdom is going to expand. Don't worry about that. Do you know like the church in China is like over the last, you know, I think it's decade I read, and maybe long, but I think it's a decade, the church has doubled in China even though they're cocking down on and not letting churches like grow. You can't stop God's kingdom. You can't stop God's kingdom. He said, my kingdom's going to, for me, this is a given, he said. The gospel of this kingdom is going to be preached to all the nations. That's a given. Don't, don't rejoice with that. Don't rejoice you've been given the power and the authority so you can go and expand this kingdom. No, that's a given. Don't, don't stop. Well, then what's this all about? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He said, what's a bigger deal than you having power over authority or spirits? He said, what's a bigger deal than that? And by the way, we say, you know, somebody's casting out devils like that. We can raise a crowd, right? You know what I mean? In this world we live in, I mean, all you do is signs and boom, crowd. She said, don't rejoice. Now, are those things important? They're absolutely important, and they're necessary, and we should deliver people if they need to deliver. That's not what I'm saying. But to Jesus, he was like, that's a given. That's going to happen because I've given you all power and I've given you all authority and wherever you go, you're not going to be harmed. You don't have to worry about that. The gospel is going to be presented. The God's great news is going to go forth and you're going to be given all power and authority to do it. He said, don't rejoice about that. Those things are going to happen. What should you rejoice about? When we get here in church on Sunday morning, we should jump up and down, shout, and we should bring our very best praise because our name is written in heaven because we know Jesus Christ the son of the living God. He dwells on the inside of us. He's changed us. That's why we rejoice, because we know Jesus. He's not dead. He's not some other religion. He's not some other person in history that we read about. He's alive and well, and he lives right here, and he's moving in my life, and moving in this church, and moving in this city, and we rejoice. We rejoice in that. Oh, come on, somebody. That's what we do. See, God always has a different perspective. If early in the service we were to bring somebody down and we were cast out of people, whoo, church! God says, no, no, I expect that. He goes, but what you should rejoice in is that your name is written in heaven. That heaven knows you. That God is with you. 
that you're bound for a different place, that you have a change of direction, that now your citizenship is of a different kingdom, and you can look forward to meeting God someday and hearing the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Jesus said, I am going to go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I'm doing it so that I can be with you and you can be with me. Citizens of a different kingdom. Wow. How are we supposed to act? Great question. Come back next week and I'll tell you. I don't know. It's called a tease. I don't know. But have you realized that you have been given far more potential than you're utilizing? Let me just end with this. You know, we have, you've heard this expression and Titus uses it in Titus 2. We're going through that in Legacy Builders. And it, it, it's, it's, it's this illustration of praying grandmas. You know what I'm talking about when I say praying grandma, right? Praying grandmas are able to move heaven and earth. I think you've been given so much more authority that maybe we need to stand up and we need to say, Satan, you're going to leave our children alone when I put them on this bus to go to school tomorrow. My children, I'm not going to be fearful, and they're not going to walk in fear. But you're going to embrace them, oh God, all throughout the day, and your hand's going to be upon them. You're going to keep them safe. And you're going to, you're going to keep their minds safe. You're going to keep their hearts safe. You're going to watch over them. You're going to bring them back safely tonight, oh God. And I'm going to pray over them, and I'm going to speak life into them, and I'm going to declare the, the goodness of God over them. I'm going to declare the promises of God over them before they leave. And God, because you've given me power and authority to do that, so I'm calling down every heavenly blessing down upon them. Because according to Ephesians chapter 1, you desire to give us every heavenly blessing right here on earth. See, you've been given the keys to the kingdom. You've been given all power and all authority. But we've, we're so far under our potential. I end with this, maybe. Maybe. How many are glad I'm least honest? It's not like those guys, like, I'm going to end now and 25 minutes later, right? You know, just maybe, just maybe. No, I promise. But in the world of athletics where I come from, the worst thing that can be said about you is that you did not live up to your potential. Throughout the years growing up, every once in a while you'd hear this expression, well, you know, they had so much potential, but they just couldn't live up to their potential. Can I tell you that, and I'm going to leave you with this thought, that as a son and as a daughter of God, you have unlimited, uncapped, unbelievable potential. And don't let it be said of you that when you stand before God that said, well, I wanted to do this, but you did this. You just didn't quite live up to your potential. Are you with me? Maybe that's why this theme is so important, that Jesus went around and spent almost every one of his messages centering around the kingdom of heaven is like. Because he wanted you to know how you could operate in kingdom power and kingdom authority here on this earth. Amen?
Father, we ask your blessing as we go. We thank you that you've opened up the heavens to us. We thank you that the veil was rent in true, that we can now boldly approach the Holy of Holies, that we can step into that, into that place where God dwells, where his glory resides, where we can experience God for ourselves, not through a mediator, not through anyone that's here on this earth, but God, we can because of what Jesus has done for us. We can step into that holy place and we can experience the fullness of God. I thank you that you have filled us with that same presence and that same power. And I thank you that God, that as we leave here today, that we're taking that with us. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That proclamation. Thanks again for joining us today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or any social media platform at faithchapelsd. See you real soon.